Welcome into ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Coming up on today's show, Alice Anthopoulos has gotten off to a decent start. And we hope that the Falcons get off to a decent start today because guess what? It's official, official training camp is on. And last but not least, and for the culture, Ella De La Cruz is not playing around with you people. That's all next. ATL Day Ones. Let's this is ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. I want to start by saying thank you for making ATL Day One your first listener today. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast. And wherever you download your podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. ATL Day One is a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up in about 10 minutes. How about this? The Atlanta Falcons report today. What are some of their strengths and weaknesses? We'll talk about all that. But first... Got to let you know that the Braves, Alex Anthopoulos is starting to make some moves. He's doing his thing, right? And uh, they have acquired um, right-handed pitcher Pierce Johnson from the Rockies in exchange for minor league pitchers Tanner Gordon and righty Victor Votnik. Uh, to make room on the 40-man uh, roster, Atlanta-designated Lucas Luigi or Simon. Sorry, Lucas, we'll holler at you. You know, he used to be a Yankee anyway, so, you know. Hey, we don't like Yankee people, so get off our team. Anyway, um, how does this like move? Just for the <laughs> Continue. See, he See, look, this is back-to-back days. T. Oh no, I'm about to go. We're gonna have to go have a good conversation off air about this. You know what I'm saying? But, but anyway, uh, let's move on. Allison Thompson make the move for uh, Righty on um, Pierce Johnson. I know when we actually first saw this yesterday, T. After we had recorded our show, we just kind of like, all right, this dude got an ERA of six. But as I after I done a little digging, T, this dude got the same strikeout per nine innings rate as Josh Hader, who we've talked about on the show about who I went. So I'm starting to see a little bit as far as what Alex and Thompson's trying to do. But how does this move help the Braves? Yeah, well, I think as well, when you break that ERA down further and realize that when you're pitching in Colorado, that's not a pitcher's park. That's a hitter's yes. park. So Absolutely. his ERA away from uh, Coors Field is probably the one that maybe bodes a little bit better because, of course, he's at six. At Colorado, he was at a little over seven away yeah. from Colorado four. So that's what I like about him. And like you said, the strikeouts is what Alex Anthopoulos talked about when he hopped on a call with the local media yesterday, because he said it himself. I know the ERA probably raises eyebrows, but dig down into that ERA. And like you said, a guy in Josh Hader, whom we both actually talked about uh, potentially getting for from the Padres for the Braves over on our Bleacher stream, Bleacher Report stream, Hey, mm-hmm. if if his numbers are consistent with him and you could even throw him up there with Spencer Strider on some level, then you're absolutely getting what you need, which is we talked about the bullpen help being the probably the primary or the number one need for the Braves. Yeah. So, yeah, now that we've had 24 hours to digest it, look into the numbers here from Alex Anthopoulos. I think we have a better idea of where they're going. And also both he and. Taylor Hearn give flexibility because of their mm-hmm. contracts. So I think that's yeah. the other thing where you look at these moves and just know that that's the kind of thing Alex Anthopoulos really wants to have in his back pocket for negotiations over this next week and even maybe beyond. 
And you know what? Taylor Hearn is, a, is a, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing that really stands out about him, not necessarily numbers, from a number standpoint, hey, he's a lefty. Your two, your two best lefties, Dylan Lee and A.J. Minter, are not here right now. You know, of course, A.J. AJ Minter may be on, on the mend and may be on his way back by the end of this week, hope so. And Dylan Lee, you know, he's still, you know, working through his issues as well. Yeah. So you bring a lefty in there. Hopefully he can give you something as to once these guys get back healthy. So I, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm – the picture, the vision is a little bit more clear today than it was yesterday when we talking about Alex Anthopoulos and what type of moves he makes. But at the end of the day, T, I trust the dude. He knows yeah. what he's doing. We've seen this movie before. Hey, the Braves need to have a need. He's going to feel it. And we might not see it in the beginning, but eventually it'll come to fruition for sure. Now, and Hearns the is also question. the type of Hearns is also the type of player we talked about on the Bleacher Report stream who's a hybrid. So that yeah. also gives some flexibility there because yep. he can go either way for you. And we actually saw some experimentation in that space just before Michael Soroka was sent back down to AAA where he came in and did had sort of was a part of a bullpen uh, run, if you will, a bullpen yep. game and then came back and had a start. So I think that's the other piece that Hearn brings to the table. You can actually stretch him either way. And like you said, he gives you that opportunity to uh, from uh, I think Alex Anthopoulos said it as length, if you will, in yeah. terms of being able to stretch him across space. So like what was what he's bringing to the table based on the fact that you still kind of sort of need a stretch to that fifth starting space as much as you need a stretch into the bullpen. Yeah, no doubt. And and being that these are our initial moves, like a lot of times, like when you when these type of moves come combined like this, this is like, hey, this is the biggest need. And I think that, you know, if they are going to pull off a big move, obviously a lot of conversations need to be had because, hey, we are officially a week away now, right now, um, as of today, uh, from the trade deadline. Do you think Alex Anthopoulos is done and is a big move on the horizon as far as you how you see it? Yeah, I, I do think that he's not done. Like, I, I yeah. I see him making, and for me, I see him, I, not that a minor move can't be made, by the way, but at this point, I'm thinking he's positioning himself for a major move. Because mm. although two prospects are gone, I think they were like number 16 and number 42 in the farm system, There's that still means there's a lot of space for who else is left in that farm system, particularly in that top 10 of those prospects. So I think that gives an opportunity to say, hey, I still have a lot left on the table that I can give if someone like a Josh Hader comes up and is available. So, yeah, I just think that as long as the terms aren't too steep, I think that there's every opportunity for him to go out and get maybe one more. You know, I'll honestly say it depends. I do think uh-huh. that we still need to see what happens for the rest of this week. The seven day stretch, you've got a big, still a big uh, series that's going to start tonight against the Red Sox. And I Sox, think that yeah. that speaks volumes about where Alex Anthopoulos can go. And to your earlier point, kind of seeing, because this is not just a prove it week, so to speak, uh, for AJ Mentor, it's a prove it week for Max Freed. So I do believe that depending on how they do in their final rehab assignments, that might also dictate where and how Alex Anthopoulos moves. Yeah, you're talking about some perfect time, right? Like, all right, let me see if my aces or my Cy Young runner-up is going to be okay. And you know what? I can stay away from starting pitching and depleting my what's left of my uh, my farm system down there. So, But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, 
Alex Anthopoulos is, is going to make the right moves. And I feel like this is a good start, like getting that immediate bullpen help. Because at the end of the day, they need arms. Like, if and if they are any good, that's a plus. Um, I would definitely leave it at that. Speaking of what's a plus or not a plus, how about this? You know, it's list season, T. You know, we're still, we're still right there. We're almost coming up to the end of us. But, you know, hey, we had to get one more in before list season is officially over. The Atlanta Hawks, right? Uh, they haven't made that many moves. After John Collins, it was kind of like, all right, and then, hey, we're going to re-sign DeJounte Murray. We know he's coming back. And, you know, we kinda, people feeling some type of way about it. So there was a list released on The Athletic, and it dropped, put teams, ranked them 1 through 30, and put, dropped them into tiers as they do those rankings. So here are, the, here are the tiers. Contenders, obviously the Hawks weren't in that one. On the brink of contention, they weren't in that one as well. Playoff hopefuls, they weren't in that one as well. And this one... Those are the top six teams, the playoff hopeful, the team that fall into the top six. And then they had play-in battleground. Ding, 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 ding. That's exactly where the Hawks fell. And then the edge of competition. And then, hey, and the last tier is teams who are basically are trying to tank for whatever superstar they're going to deem number one overall pick. Now, my question to you, though, T, is, like, we understand where the Hawks are financially, and they had to make some decisions in order to get where they need to be so they won't go into that apron just yet if that's what they want to do. My question to you is simply, how does Landry Fields get the Hawks to avoid being mediocre this year? That's a great question. I don't know if Landry Fields can do anything else off the court, at least for now. Now, when we get closer to the mid-season trade deadline might be yeah. different because at that point you really will know whether or not the Hawks really are going to stay where they're trending, which is that in play-in tier that you just mentioned, no depending doubt. on where they are relative to that tier. That said, I don't think that it's Landry Fields off the court moves as much as it's Quinn Snyder dictating the on the court moves and figuring out, okay, if this is what I have to work with this entire season, how am I going to make this actually work in two spaces. Number one, of course, is make the backcourt more effective. Got to get the max out of the young Murray connection, but also a front court that just has to perform. Every single one of them has to just improve. We saw some definitely, definitely at the three and at the four, not taking DeAndre Hunter into consideration, really more down the bench, right? At the right. three, I think we saw a lot that was encouraging. And at the four as well, we saw a lot that's encouraging. But we've got to get – the Hawks have to get more out of the five if they're going to be in contention, the way bigs are playing the game these days. So, yeah, I think if they're going to get out of that kind of mediocrity or the middling, if you will, that keeps getting them in the playing round, it'll have to be everybody hands on deck, Quinn Snyder looking at the roster and saying, I, as the coach that they brought in, 22 games before last season was last regular season was over. I'm the guy that's going to be able to max them in there. Yeah. Position. Yeah. Cause that's the worst place you can be in today's NBA. Right. Right there in the middle. Like, because at the end of the day, there's hope if you're one of the worst teams, because like who, right. whoever's being deemed the number one overall pick, you can get them just like the San Antonio Spurs. Like, like he's like the second coming down there right now and down in Texas or, you know, and if you're not a, a legitimate contender, it's kind of like, and especially with this new CBA and how this uh, structure with all these aprons and uh, luxury tax and all that stuff, it is a hard place to be. And so I, I think that, you know, that key piece that you just mentioned is definitely going to have to be Quinn Snyder. And 
upgrading some of these guys, um, Beyonce style around this thing. But <laughs> but we have to let you know that today's episode of ATL Day Ones is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. It is the number one sportsbook in America. We just got through talking about some baseball, right? This is the best website to go to. You can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. All you got to do, drop 20 bucks, and you'll land $200 in bonus bet, win or lose. That's $200 you can spend on anything from the the money line to the over-unders, or you can dog on bet who's going to hit the first home run. The Braves have been absolutely murdering the baseball as of late. I got Austin Riley, our second-half MVP. He is on a tear. But guys, I'm telling you, you breaking records. So all you got to do is just go there. It's safe, it's secure, super easy to use, and there's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball. So sign up today at fanduel.com slash locked on. Get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Fanduel.com slash locked on L O C K E D O N. Fanduel is the official sportsbook betting partner of Major League Baseball. So, Jarvis, it's Christmas time in July, otherwise known as the official official opening of training camp. Of course, the rookies reported last week, but the veterans are reporting today. The guys put on their pads tomorrow, and we're going to bring you all the action and all the reaction from Flowery Branch that we can this week. So, of course, you guys know yesterday we talked a lot about position battles, right? And we talked about what we wanted to see, who we had our eye on, if you will, now we want to kind of break that down even more and talk about strengths, right? And that could be the strength of an individual player. That can be the strength at a position. Jarvis, that can even be the strength 11, all 11 on one side of the ball, if you will. But right. there is a strength in your mind that you see and are encouraged about heading into camp, not just for what it's going to mean as far as any position battles, which you really don't have some on, on one side of the ball, but anywho, but more mm-hmm. importantly, how that's going to make it competitive in training camp and the preseason that's going to spill over into the regular season. So where do you see that strength? Where are you encouraged as we head into camp this, this year? It has to be the secondary because when I think like we think about like guys who were playing last year, especially when AJ Terrell went down, it was it was ugly. Let's <laughs> just be quite honest. That secondary was ugly. When you talk about Cornell Armstrong and guys like that being constantly picked on, you know, uh, game in and game out. Once you know, like you said, once AJ Terrell went down, so I think that that has the potential to be one the strongest group on defense. Now, as a former defensive lineman, I'm saying like, okay, that might not mean anything. But when you think about the veteran that they have in there, right? You're talking about Jesse Bates the third. They tell they tell me that hey he's one of the best safeties in the league. I don't want to see that. That's what I want to see. I want to see that all pro caliber type thing because he's a one time all pro. He hasn't been in there in a couple of years, so I want to see him get back to that 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 level of of play. And if they get that, the the Falcons have a chance to be really good on the back end of this defense. Now we talk about Reggie, Richie Grant. We saw some development last year. Yes. Played all in, in play, all the games. You see, of course, he had his moments, but. You saw that that he took that leap, right? That that jump that you look for when when guys are going into their second and third years into the NFL. So uh, I'm okay there. AJ Terrell had a little bit of a down year dealing with the injuries as well. So you hope he get back not fully healthy coming into the season. You hope he gets back to where he needs to be. And the other piece is there's two other spots I'm gonna go ahead and throw in there because hey, nickel is a nickel corner is starting spot. You got Jeff Okuda, who we know more than likely he's gonna be CB two. 
But the nickel spot, who a lot of people are saying that it's going to be a competition. Mm-hmm. Me, on the other hand, I don't see that. I see D offer as locking in in that spot. As mm. long as he content comes in and continues to do what he's been doing, he's going to be the star at that nickel corner. So, yeah, yeah, when I'm throwing out those names and putting all those guys together, T, I'm sitting up here like, okay, these guys might have a chance to be some decent secondary. And if they're able to get somewhat of a pass rush, mm-hmm. some pressure, whether it be – from a, a guy with his hand in the dirt or somebody standing up like Caden Ellis and being and they're throwing some throwing bringing pressure from that second level. I think that this has a chance to be one probably one of the better groups in the league if everybody if everything pans out right. Yeah. And not only that, I think just to add to that, having that type of group and having Jerry Gray be so excited oh, yes. about the opportunity mm-hmm. to coach up AJ Terrell to be even better and to coach up Jeff Okuda to get back to what we saw as he stated when I asked him one-on-one a couple weeks ago what he saw in Okuda at Ohio State so I like that because we know Jerry Gray is essentially known as not just the defense whisperer but the DB whisperer so I just feel like they've got the perfect guy (laughs) to take the tools and resources that he has to be able to do something with them and like you said Richie Grant showed us something last year he showed us the growth that we were looking for Jalen Hawkins he's got to get into form so Jerry Gray seems like the guy that, that can get him there, but I would agree with you. That's a pretty good group, a pretty good position group to say, hey, that's a strength and that you're encouraged by them. I'm going to go with the running back core. I think that okay. that's a very strong oh. group. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Captain Obvious yeah. on it. <laughs> but I'm going to go Captain Obvious on it because yes. I really yes. do think that is a yeah. super strength, if not a superpower for the Falcons because you go out and get a Bijan Robinson – and you're looking at him to the to the tune of people asking about a rookie possibly having a 1,000, 1,000 type year in his rookie season. We're talking yeah, rushing and receiving yeah. yards. When you're compared, when LaDainian Tomlinson says you remind him of himself, that's pretty that's high praise. Yeah, pretty high praise. So I'm going to go with him and the fact that we are having that same conversation about Cordero Patterson wondering, ooh, okay, are they going to use it more as a running back or a receiver? That is a good problem to have because that means that your RB1, quote-unquote, and your RB2, quote-unquote, are also kind of like your, I'm going to say wide receiver, WR maybe four, WR -hmm. maybe three at times. And of course, probably your five and six, if we're honest about what's going on in the receiving room. So I like those two as giving that strength, but also a Tyler Algier, because we saw him, the more he played, the better he got. So I can only imagine. And one thing I'll be looking for is what happens kind of on that downslope where you and I kind of look around if they set up again, like they usually do. And you've got kind of the running backs over here and they're over there with the jug machine. Yeah, that's important. Oh, yeah. The running oh, yeah. backs are over there with the jug machine for the Falcons. And I always noticed that um, even back when um, they they had, uh, oh, my goodness, UGA's finest, the Rams. I'm, you know, drawing a blank right now. But, you know, Todd Gurley. Todd, Todd, exactly. Todd mm-hmm. Gurley. I saw the third yes. in my head. Right. Of so course, Todd yes. Gurley, the third. that was the first time I kind of noticed like, wow, you know, the Falcons kind of put emphasis on making sure that their running backs are pass catchers. So, yeah, I love that them as a, a true strength and superpower for the Falcons. Now there are areas for improvement. There are still some weak areas where we're like, Hmm, still might be a little bit concerned going into the season. So what would that area be for you? Oh, come on. T, you know exactly what I'm going on this one. How about I'm going to be captain. Obviously on, on this one. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that little hat right there off your head and go ahead and put it on my head. 
uh, edge rusher. Uh, how many people? I was, trying, I was trying so hard to keep a straight face asking, <laughs> the, yeah, asking that question. I'm like, duh. Yes. Yeah. But here's why, though. Like everybody talking about Calais Campbell. Yeah. He, to me, at this age, he's not an edge rusher to me. Like, I feel like he'll be very, very sufficient, you know, if they move him down inside on passing downs. You know what I'm saying? I know he's going to, you say he's going to be a defensive end in, in, in base formation. That's cool. I have no problem with that at all. But once it comes time to rush, rush the passer, I want that six, seven dude in the middle pushing that pocket along with Grady Jarrett. So those yeah. are some of the things that I feel like that will, that will work for the, for the Falcons in the, from an interior standpoint. But as far as guys who can put their hand in that dirt or be in that two-point stance, however you want to do, however you feel comfortable, like we're talking about Bud Dupree. Now, granted, he's put up some numbers in the league, but it's a reason why he's on his, what, third team right now? Yeah. And you're talking about a guy, Arnold Katie, who we talked about yesterday, who I that's my biggest concern. That's my guy who I'm going to have all my eyeballs on, all two of them. You know what I mean? So I think that given – where the guys on third and long, and then they told me last year that D'Angelo Malone is going to be one of those guys. I, 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 anybody seen D'Angelo? Hey, man, you from the crib, man. You from the deck, dog. I need you to go out there and represent. So those are some of the things that, like, I really feel like that's where the the, the Falcons are, are, are weak, right? And yeah. that outside linebacker, edge, guys who coming in on third down, pass rush specialist type dudes. I th- they don't have enough of those guys, in my opinion. So, I think right now, that's 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 what that's the glaring weakness for me, especially on defense. Yeah, and I would even add to Quan Graham in the middle because, of course, with that MCL yes. injury, we saw sh- sparks. We literally saw flashes of it before he went down for the season in about week eleven. So, mm. I agree with you. That's the captain obvious for so many reasons and so at so many positions and even so many players that we saw flashes from for whatever reason, whether it was flashes and then you went down, whether it was flashes and then the game just didn't slow down fast enough for you or it's flashes because like you said, you're in some type of proven situation and you're coming, you're coming here to prove it. And so therefore you're kind of a great incomplete. And for me, I would agree with you and then just kind of, to add some conversation and just some thought to it, it would be for me the O-line. And whether or not Caleb mm. McGarry is finally yes. going to get to the other side. And I know Bring I said it, it yesterday. Bring it all home. <laughs> I just yes. want to see them give Desmond Ritter an opportunity to do what I think Desmond Ritter can do, right? And yes. so, and, and that doesn't take anything away from not knowing what Matthew Bergeron is going to be. I mean, He's a rookie, so we we assume that he's going to be good. We assume that he's going to be that starting left guard and that he's going to bring help for Jake Matthews, but we ultimately don't know. So I would put it, in addition to agreeing with you about uh, the pass rush, I would put that on the O-line to really ensure that the Falcons don't become one-dimensional on offense. So we'll talk more about it, of course, throughout training just camp. Just real quick. Guys think. And you're, you got real, oh, you got one more honorable mention? Your, yeah, yeah, just real quick. No, I was just going to say, I was just going to add to what you were saying because you talked about the strengths being the running back, right? They ain't going to do jack if those guys are up front don't get right, you know, specifically in the passing game because, hey, that I feel like they have a chance to be dynamic in the area. Yes, I just said that. They have a chance to be dynamic, but they have to protect Desmond Ritter. They have to give him time, and Caleb McGarry is the guy who has that, that, that bullseye on his back, yeah. especially with – you know, Mr. Jordan down there in uh, New Orleans, you know, he said that's his son. So, you know, we've seen that. So, but yeah, but yeah, I think that 
The strength is going to be able to be brought out unless the offensive line, like you mentioned, is going to be able to solidify themselves up front and protect the third-round investment. Indeed, indeed. And we do want to hear from you guys because that's where we think the strengths are. Where do you think the strengths are for this team? And where are some areas of concern? Don't forget to drop that in the chat if you check us out on YouTube, because we actually do look at those comments and sometimes we'll even bring them into the conversation here on ATL Day Ones. And of course, don't forget, wherever you download the rest of your podcast, better download ATL Day Ones too, because we bring you the heat about all things sports in Atlanta. But T, this is for the culture. It is the intersection between sports, entertainment, the culture, and sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about, because that's just how we get down on the show. Today is no different. When you think about phenomenons who come into, you know, phenoms who come into the Major League Baseball team. We got some experience that, of that down here in Atlanta, right? When we think about Ronald Acuna coming up and even Ozzie Albies to a certain extent, when he when he came on, you know, it was just the excitement and everything. It was just so great to watch, right? And I think we're starting to see that up in Cincinnati when I got Ellie De La Cruz. He is an absolute monster on the field, uh, T. But I think that, you know, a lot of Petty came into play, and I want to get your reaction to this uh, this call on um, the Brewers broadcast, uh, courtesy of Ballot Sports. Bright center, gone. That's out of the stadium. It went over the SUV. It cleared the stands. That ball had a family. Well, I think David Cruz just looked into the dugout and said, "Let him, let him try to rob that one." After the near miss on the robbery, De La Cruz leaves no doubt, and the Reds take a 2-1 lead. So the Brewers (laughs) went petty, right? Because De La Cruz got robbed earlier in the game of a home run, like right at the edge, right? And not only did he blast this ball to kingdom come, but it was right there at the edge of the scoreboard, which is where the Brewers put some petty message up about him, right? And I'm thinking to myself, Now, you do know who he is. You do know what he's capable of. And granted, shout out to the Brewers for getting a walk-off win against the Reds in spite of it. But the point being, you just don't mess. Like, you just don't mess with fate like that, right? Right, And so for me, it was funny, too, because, of course, the Brewers are the team the Braves just wrapped up their series against. And I was thinking to myself, see, you should focus on making sure you keep your NL Central lead intact that's what you do and obviously they reset themselves for the rest of the game but yeah i just thought to myself it really felt like basketball patty too because this is what we see in the nba most of the time you know what i liked about it the fact that we all say mlb sometimes is a yawner right it'll put you to sleep because it's just so stayed and so focused on keeping the old tradition and the old guard this guy de la cruz is a lot like you said like a ronald acuna jr or michael harris the second he ain't about that old guard life so i kind of like it I like that the Brewers were a little bit petty, although I tell them don't be. But this is the kind of thing that has you and I talking about Major League Baseball and for the culture. So I don't know. Maybe it's a win for Major League Baseball after all. It, it is. It is. And my only my only concern is that they make sure they embrace it. Embrace who Elder Day La Cruz is. Yes. Embrace that, that trash talk because that's just 
what people are interested in, right? Especially if you can back it up. Like, yeah. I see if he was a guy who was out here struggling and then he like messed the Mets, around, went when over to <laughs> yeah, trolling like, in the dugout but when they played the Braves yeah. and they got smoked. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. Yeah, Go yeah ahead. of course. Like, yeah. You know, like, New York fans are miserable anyway. You know what I'm saying? The, specifically the Mets fans. So, you know, they'll never, ever, ever, ever have room to talk trash to the Atlanta Braves. So, yeah, you know, like, Chipper Jones' son is named after y'all stadium because, you know, He's a son, get it? You know, that, that, like that level of petty is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I think the the, the Brewers and, and the Reds and the L.A. De La Cruz, like, yeah, it's okay, you know, to engage in this type of stuff because, it, hey, it's all part of the game. It's all a good fun. Now, when you get into the whole, you know, altercations and all that stuff, that's a whole different thing. But, yeah, I think Major League Baseball needs to embrace this type of stuff. They need to promote it when it happens, not you know, let it happen organically, of course. Yeah. But I think right now, this is what Major League Baseball needs because this is what makes the game exciting. Embracing these guys coming in with these big personalities, and like you said, and not trying to down talk them. That's the tradition of Major League Baseball and all that stuff. Because yeah. it's time out for that. Because the game needs to evolve. You you evolve. I'm sorry. You evolve evolved mm-hmm. well when you. Change the pitch clock, right? I, I yes. love the fact that Major League Baseball said, you yes. know what, this game is taking too long. And here's how we're going to speed it up. And I yeah. absolutely love the pitch clock. I think it's really, really cool. And they've they done a good job with that. Now it's time to embrace the players and potentially build some superstars that can come out and promote the game and grow it how you want to grow it. Yeah, and I think we're also seeing the unapologetic attitude of the Braves coming through. You know, it was yeah. it was controversial because once Freddie Freeman left that when you, that's when you started hearing all of the, the feedback and the commentary about how, you know, tight and playing it straight to the best he was and how that was juxtaposed to Ronald Acuña Jr. and now yeah. to me the Braves have taken on and no offense to Freddie Freeman, I mean you've played the game based on the personality that you have the right way based on right exactly so, yes, <laughs> do you that's you do you yeah, but do. Yeah. what i'm seeing with the braves is a team that we all say even if we can't quite agree yet that they're the best braves team ever because but i bet we all agree it's the most fun team to watch not just yes. to me in braves history but also i believe in front in mlb right now and that's because Ronald Acuna set the stage for that. And then Michael Harris II came up with his unapologetic swag. Spencer Strider has his own version of swag. I mean, it's just there. And when Ozzie Albies hit what was that go-ahead run a couple days ago, the way that Orlando Arcia greeted him in the dugout tells you all you need to know. And to wrap it up, the National League Player of the Week who absolutely smoked the heck out of everything that was moving last week. 10 hits, six home runs, 16 RBI, and he scored nine runs. You know what Austin Riley said about how he got his groove back? It's because he stopped getting to the plate, overthinking it, trying to do this, that, or the third, and just said, have fun with this. Have fun with this. It's a game at the end of the day. And speaking of a game, you guys know what the deal is, right? The Braves are coming back to play tonight in Boston. They split the series in early May. Hopefully they'll get the series when they start tonight. Charlie Morton's on the mound. Hopefully he'll have a bounce back game. And you know what we're going to do, right? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Falcons training camp. And we're going to have more Hawks talk for you tomorrow. So come back by. We appreciate you stopping by every single day. And we'll see you tomorrow. If you don't do anything else with the rest of your life, make sure you share love, show love, and most importantly, spread love. <laughs>